The only thing more difficult, I think, than herding cats <laughs> would be to herd kittens. <laughs> uh, well, what a, what a blessing for you mothers on Mother's Day, and I want to been, be among those extending well wishes to all of our mothers. I hope you started this day, you mothers, with breakfast in bed. Or no. Maybe a thoughtful card. Maybe your favorite candy or flowers. Or better yet, a hug from little arms or a scribbled, I love you, Mom, on a paper heart. And a peanut butter and jelly kiss. Or maybe you can identify with one of these cartoons. She says, uh, so very thoughtful of my kids to show their love and appreciation by sending me text messages. Better than nothing. And then two boys, little boys, hello, Pizza Palace. For Mother's Day, would you deliver breakfast in bed? Yeah. And then Motherhood Incorporated, Human Resources Department. One vacation day a year, that's all I get. We call it Mother's Day, but technically you still have to work. <laughs> you moms can identify, can't you? Growing up as a boy, I always liked Mother's Day. There were usually special recognitions and gifts for different mothers. The youngest mother, the oldest mother, the newest mother, the mother with the most children. And it's a little easier to pull that off in a church of 250 than it is in a church of 4,000 on Mother's Day in three different services in two different venues. And, of course, over the last five decades, the social context for motherhood has evolved quite a bit. The norm back in the 60s was the traditional stay-at-home mom. Well, June Cleaver and Caroline Ingalls have been replaced by Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina. Focus on the Family recently identified four different categories for 21st century mothers. See where you fit. There are moms that stay at home, then there are moms who conduct a business in their home or from their home. There are moms who choose to work outside the home. And then the fourth category are married or single moms who are forced by economic circumstances to work outside the home. And in an audience this size this morning, there would undoubtedly be quite a bit of diversity. And I do want to say that in this church, we never intend to favor any particular category of moms. We want to celebrate and support and love all women because no one in time and space has ever done as much to elevate women as Jesus. He came into this world miraculously conceived in the womb of a single woman. His first miracle was prompted by a woman. His public ministry was partially, uh, partially supported by women. It was women who stayed with Jesus through his illegal trials and the crucifixion. Women were the first to witness about the resurrection. And it's women who make up the majority of the membership in most churches today. According to the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, 40% of the United States population attends church regularly. That's 132 million people. Of that number, 56% are women, 44% are men. So today, 
we celebrate and we commend the spiritual strength of women in general and mothers in particular with a focus this morning on the better story of a mother who worked outside the home. Her name is Lydia. And we actually have an eyewitness account of the day that her life took a turn for the best as she moved from making a living to making a life. Let's read about it. In Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11, this is Luke writing, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So what can we learn about this exceptional woman from these scant few verses? Well, a couple of observations from the text. First thing we learn is that she was diligent. That is, she was hardworking. We're talking here about an industrious woman. How do we know that? Well, notice the text says that she is from Thyatira, but she is living in Philippi. Now, these two cities are 250 miles apart, and you have to cross the Aegean Sea. Here's Thyatira, where she was from. Here's Philippi, where she was at the time she encountered Paul and his co-workers. That's 250 miles that we're talking about there. So what we may have here is a woman who is running a thriving textile business in Turkey and she has a franchise in Greece. Maybe she'd gone to Philippi to restock an outlet or to open a new business or to supply a retail company. She may have even had other stores as she traveled from place to place between these two points. Her second home here in Philippi must have been pretty large. It's large enough for her household, her whole household. Now, that could be servants, that could be her parents and her children, her, perhaps her grandchildren. And we know that at least five missionaries were invited to stay in her house. We know at least five because Luke and Paul and Silas and Jude and Timothy are all mentioned specifically as being a part of this team. So this indicates to me that this is a well-to-do woman. She owns a large house, and to own a large house, you had to be well-to-do. And she must have had at least two, one in Thyatira, one in Philippi. And 
In that day and culture, to own two homes, that was a big deal. This is a successful businesswoman, and she specialized, the text says, in purple cloth. Now, purple cloth was worn by the upper crust in the ancient world. And Thyatira was famous throughout Asia for the purple dye that they produced there. It was made from a pigment in a certain kind of shellfish, murex trunculus, for you nerdy types. It was found off the coast. And it took hundreds of these mashed-up shellfish to dye just a few yards of cloth. Well, Lydia had capitalized on this, and she was now marketing her fabric in Europe. Roman citizens, former military who had retired in the city of Philippi, that was most of the population of Philippi, retired military, they had become some of her prime customers. So at some point, she must have taken over the family business. Perhaps her husband had died prematurely, and she was selling her purple cloth on the Rodeo Drive in Philippi. Is this a problem? Not at all. Not at all. Proverbs 31.15 describes a woman of noble character. Take a look at what it says. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers the field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable. Sounds like Lydia to me, up early, cleaning and cooking, looking at property to buy, investing her capital. She's energetic. She's in good physical shape. She keeps an eye on the bottom line. Proverbs 10.4 says, diligent hands bring wealth. I think this is a diligent woman. She's industrious. She's energetic. She pours herself into her life. Now, we've got to be aware, aware of the other extreme because you swing the pendulum too far the other way, and uh, you can have a, a workaholic. You can make work your idol. Starting or running a business, it can become all-consuming especially if you get rewarded with success, you get rewarded with recognition or wealth. It can become addictive. It can become intoxicating. And so many people in our generation are driven to succeed. In Japan, I am told they've even coined a new word in the Japanese language. It's karash. It means death by overwork. Doctors there have found a significant connection between high job stress and cardiovascular or seborovascular disease, that is high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, bottom line, too many people love their career, they love their job too much. Don't be defined by your job. Be defined by your faith. Be defined by your relationships. Being diligent is, listen, being diligent is God-honoring only if it is balanced with this higher priority that we see in Lydia because she was not only diligent, she's also devoted. She's devoted to God, and she's devoted to her family. And this is what Lydia would want us to talk about. She wouldn't want us to talk about her business acumen or her financial success. She would want us to talk about her Lord and her loved ones. Relationships mattered more to her than retail sales. 
what she had learned outside the city walls, away from the hustle and bustle of the crowds, away from the clients and the customers and the bankers and the business meetings on the banks of the Gangite River. That's what was most important to her. She had learned story after story of God's love for people, his people Israel, in the Old Testament. She had rejected the Greek mythology of her youth. She was a believer in Jehovah, the one and only creator God. And as is is the case in, in every true seeker after him, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe and receive the good news about Jesus. Jesus, God's Son, uniquely born of a virgin into this sinful world, perfectly fulfilling the law of God, tempted just as we are yet without sin, in love and obedience to the Father's will, going to the cross to die, paying for your sins and mine, miraculously rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, promising he will come again to take us to the place he is preparing. And she responded. She responded by placing her faith in Jesus. But it was not enough for Lydia to respond. She could not rest until her family was taught. And so they could respond along with her, and that's what we see in Acts 10, or Acts 16, 15. We read, she and the members of her household were baptized. And I think the most heart-touching scenes that unfold in this worship center are when we see a mother and father in the baptistry with their son or daughter to participate in their baptisms. I sit right there, and I am often moved by the love and the trust and the admiration shining from the faces of those children in the baptistry who have been led to Jesus and baptized by a mother or father. I can tell you the greatest source of satisfaction in your life will be to lead your children to know the Lord and to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord alongside you. It's what the Apostle John was talking about in 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. By the way, our very next series of four messages will be on the family specifically the very practical ways that parents can disciple their own children. And we're calling that series The Most Important Disciples You Will Ever Make. Well, this was Lydia's highest priority. Not to make a living, but to make a life. Not just for herself, but also for her household. And parents, we have no more important assignment on earth than to be devoted to God and our family like Lydia. So are you consumed with with praying and teaching and modeling the Jesus life in your household? Do your children see Christ in you? In your words, in your works, in your actions, in your reactions, in your private and public moments. Do your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, do they know that you love Jesus Christ, you love his word, you love his church? Like Lydia, are you diligent? 
But do you balance that diligence with devotion? Well, can we tell from these few verses what it was, practically speaking, here this morning on Mother's Day 2015? What was it that caused Lydia's life to take a turn for the best? Because although she was diligent and although she was devoted, she did not yet know Jesus in a saving way until her encounter with Paul and his co-workers. I think we can. I think it's a combination. Here are the practical things that enabled Lydia to have a better story. These are the practical things, the outworkings in her life that made her life take a turn for the best. First of all, she was in a small group. You see it in verse 13. She met with a group of women that gathered down by the river that flowed beside the city. And this group of women met there because there was not a synagogue in the city. So the women regularly assembled outdoors. They did that to encourage each other to pray together. Now, why was that important? Well, it's important because of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus spells it out for us here. Prayer has even greater impact. Prayer is an even greater force when we unite with others to pray. And the reason we champion small group communities in our church is because all of us can meet the challenges of life with much more confidence if we are a part of an encouraging, praying group of believers. Let me caution you about something. In our technological age, in our age of laptops, fax machines, iPads, iPhones, and now iWatches, we're obsessed. We're obsessed with instant communication. We are a generation that wants to be in touch with one another, and we're willing to pay the price for the gadgets to stay connected. (laughs) But I submit to you, it cannot be done electronically. I've become dependent on the gadgets, just like everyone else. But I know that they cannot take the place of mutual encouragement, of fellowship, conversation about the truths that matter most, prayer with other believers in small group, some kind of small group expression. Lydia was in a small group. Well, what else made Lydia's story better? Well, she was also a worshiper. That's in verse 14. The text says it precisely in those words. Lydia was a worshiper of God. Now, if you are a mother who also works outside the home, you get off at the end of the day, you come home, you've got to manage a household, and you don't need me to tell you how busy your life is. But for all of Lydia's busyness, she still took time to worship God. She had discovered the deep joy and satisfaction of both personal worship and corporate worship in the community. And there is no better way in this world to shed the weight and the worries and the stress and the mess of this world than in worship. It's why people so often testify that they feel so much better. The week goes so much better after they've been in church. Now, I understand We're overworked, overbooked, overloaded, overcommitted. 
But when someone is finally convinced that something's got to change in their schedule, church is often what gets dropped. Faithful worship is neglected. I've heard it. Maybe you've said it. Sunday's my only day off to sleep in, to play golf, to work in the yard, which being interpreted says, I have better things to do on my day off than worship God with other believers. That's what that statement means. Earlier I shared the results of a Pew Forum study that said 40% of the population attends church regularly. Now here's the more specific data from the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. Only 18% worship weekly. That's 52 million, not 132 million. That means on any given Sunday, 80 million professed Christians are not in a worship assembly. 23% of Christians attend three out of eight Sundays. That's less than half time. About 60% worship 12 times a year. That's once a month, friends. This is why we are losing the upcoming generation. They are learning, by example, that church life is secondary. It's optional. In the context of Lydia being a worshiper of God, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's what happens so often in worship. Our hearts get opened up. One of Jesus' most memorable statements was this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, when a person lives with little or no fellowship and worship, they are trying to live by bread alone, and it's not enough. If you've been trying to fill your life with R&R, it's not enough. If you've been working yourself half to death so your family can take a nicer vacation, drive a newer car, have more stuff, you need to know it's not enough. Listen, the Lord can't open your heart to respond to His voice, to respond to His presence, to respond to His message unless you make worship more of a priority. Just... One more thing I want you to see this morning about Lydia that caused her life to take a turn for the best. She was in a small group. She was a worshiper. But I want you to notice another thing that enabled her and her household to have a better story. And that is she was a servant. She had a servant spirit. It's in verse 15. It's also implicit in verse 40. The first thing Lydia did after accepting Jesus as her Lord and Savior was to be baptized, and the member, members of her household followed her good example. But she didn't stop there. She immediately began to exercise her gifts of hospitality by serving, encouraging, giving generously. It's all from the list in Romans 12, verses 7 and 8. talks about the gifts. She had these gifts. She began using them immediately she invited Paul and his co-workers to stay and operate out of her home as long as they were in Philippi and it was a strong invitation she put the pressure on him if you consider me a believer in the Lord come and stay at my house and Luke said she persuaded us that is she prevailed she talked us into it she insisted she wouldn't take no for an answer 
Later, Paul and Silas were jailed for performing a miraculous healing. Go figure. And after being released, it says in verse 40 of chapter 16, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. So her house became the meeting place for the church in Philippi. Her gift of hospitality facilitated a new church plant. And then we go to the book of Revelation and we find four references to a church in Thyatira. Where did that church come from? Because there's no evidence that any of the apostles were in Asia Minor to plant a new church. I believe the church in Thyatira very well could have been the church planting dream of Lydia in her own hometown. And the members of Lydia's household could see her faith was genuine by her good works. I appreciate so much Patrick's emphasis two weeks ago that we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. That's exactly what it says in Ephesians 2.10. We are saved for good works, which God prepared in advance. In other words, before we became Christians, before we were saved, God prepared good works in advance for us to do. And so... In your bulletin today, you'll see there's something about a serve tour. That's kind of a new terminology. It's something that we are doing to try to acquaint people with service opportunities. Sometimes people don't sign up to serve because they really don't know what's involved. We want you to take a serve tour. You can sign up and you can see all the serving opportunities that are a part of the ministry of Crossroads. And then, no pressure, but you may want to volunteer to, to plug in. We have over 90 volunteer positions that we need to fill right now. Or how about this on Mother's Day? How about if you find a single mom in our church who's got kids and you volunteer to help her one day a week? You just say, I'm going to come to your house on Wednesday or Thursday afternoon and do whatever you need done. Help you clean, take care of the kids while you go shopping, whatever it is. There's service that we can do that's a part of the ministry of the church, and that's important stuff, like our Vacation Bible School Week that's coming up and the volunteers we need to make that really fly for a 1,000-plus of our kids. And then there's the spontaneous, personally motivated things that we, that we can do. I wonder if we'll have any more Lydia's in our church after this Mother's Day. I hope so. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity on this Mother's Day to open your word and get clear direction about living a life of impact, living a life of significance things that we can do to put ourselves in a position to be blessed by you, to live a better story, to see our lives take a turn for the best. Lead us. Help us to follow through, to obey the things that we hear from you, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name.